0: This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Weekdays at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle.
0: At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710 710.
1: Oh, hello and welcome aboard the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington. Nay, the world. I am Paul Gallant. It is Tuesday, April 13th of 2021. The NFL draft, only a couple of weeks away. It's a weird one for the Seahawks. They don't have a first-round pick. They don't have a third-round pick. Their first pick comes at 56th overall. And I think we're all under the understanding that the Seahawks are going to trade that 56th pick back, acquire more draft picks, because only three draft picks for one draft It's not enough. You do need to have guys under those rookie contracts so that... Your roster isn't entirely comprised of veterans who are making $5 million to $10 million. So, I think that's how they'll approach the draft. I don't think it's how I want them to approach the draft. Given the way they've operated since I've been here, specifically since the Jadevian Clowney trade, I really like that they have been willing to trade draft picks for veteran players. It feels like they are all about right now. I hope Russell Wilson sees that, even if it is, for the most part, coming on the defensive side of the football. Third-round pick for Jadevian Clowney. Fifth-round pick for Quandre Diggs. Two first-round picks for Jamal Adams. I think it was a fifth-round pick for Quinton Dunbar. Uh, Seventh-round pick in B.J. Finney for Carlos Dunlap. Fifth-round pick for Gabe Jackson. With that 56th pick, You might, and by might, I mean it's very unlikely, highly improbable, but it's possible that you could end up with another DK Metcalf at that 56 spot. It's possible. It's very unlikely. So what are you going to get the most out of that second pick? How are you going to get the most out of that second round pick that you have? I don't know if there is somebody that is the apple of John Schneider's eye on another team that maybe is available, For the right price. But I wouldn't mind them using that second-round pick to trade for a guy. There are cap ramifications that would need to happen after the fact to fit probably somebody that would be worth a second-round pick onto your roster, but they are more likely to find that immediate short-term help by trading that pick. I'm curious as to what you want the Seahawks to do with that second-round pick. And if they should change their traditional draft habits of trading back, trading back, and trading back, would you want them to trade for a specific, excuse me, draft a specific position with that pick in the second round? We talked to Michael Bumpus yesterday. Michael Bumpus would like to see the Seahawks bring in another wide receiver to compete for that number three spot with Freddie Swain. We have also heard the idea of looking at offensive linemen. I'm guessing that is the route that Jake Heaps would like to go. Because he loves him some, some offensive linemen. He wants Russell Wilson to be protected. And there is a point to be made about that. The future of this offensive line and the short term of this offensive line are always going to be in question. In the future, because Dwayne Brown's getting up there in age. And in the short term, because you don't really know what you're going to get out of Ethan Posick this season. And I would say the same thing for Gabe Jackson. I am optimistic that he is a upgrade over Mike Upatty, but Mike UPotty just retired. That's the main reason that I'm suggesting that. I don't know how much of an upgrade he's going to be over Mike UPotty. It's not me questioning whether or not he's a good player. This is just, hey, the Raiders were willing to trade him, and they only got a fifth-round pick in return for it. So what would you like to see the Seahawks do with that second pick? 7-10, 7-10, is how you text in. You can also tweet me, at Galant says, trade back or get a stud offensive lineman or defensive end, right? Swan texter. You know, on the defensive line, I think I'm good. Because I have a hard time seeing them finding a team willing to trade the real impact kind of second uh, uh, player as a pass rusher for just a second-round pick, you know? Trade back or get a stud offensive lineman. Trade a, for a premier center. I would like a better center. It is a bummer that the Rodney Hudson trade was not one that the Seahawks made. Honestly, if you brought both Rodney Hudson over and Gabe Jackson in one offseason, would you have been that opposed to that? I think with Ethan Posick, it's a question mark at that position. Second round talent out of LSU, but it took until this year for him to figure out how to get on the field and down the stretch, it did not look very good on the field. So what would you like to see the Seahawks do with that second round pick? And would you like to see them change their draft habits? Another story I want to bring up. I dove deep into that piece in The Athletic by Shield Capedia that talks about the relationship that the Philadelphia Eagles brass, Jeffrey Lurie, their owner, Howie Roseman, the general manager and seeming right-hand man of Lurie, treated Doug Peterson. Peterson had his issues in Philadelphia, no doubt about it, but the guy also won a Super Bowl. And to have ownership that was requiring Peterson to meet with him every single Tuesday... So that they could go over every single decision that he made over the course of a game. It goes against one of my core principles when it comes to football. I don't want anyone in the front office to have the kind of pull that Jeffrey Lurie has with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I know that's a weird thing to say because I am essentially telling a person who owns something that they should not have much input into the thing that they physically own. But that's how I feel. I don't want non-football people making football decisions. And I go back to a very fateful moment in 1997 where a coach, fresh off a Super Bowl appearance, decided to walk away from the team that he just made the Super Bowl with because he did not have enough input. That guy, Hall of Fame head coach Bill Parcells. A friend of mine told me something. Okay, now
0: I'm going to quote, and I'm not trying to be cute here, okay? I'm just going to say it. They want you to cook the dinner, at least they ought to let you shop for some of the groceries. Okay? First of all, if you look at Bill and I, I think we don't lack for adequate groceries. I mean, I think, uh, and you know, I think we've been shopping at Bread and Circus. I mean, I think our groceries are pretty good. I have no, they're fresh, you know, I mean, I like the groceries. I'd like to be flooded with groceries like that next year. That whatever way a man chooses to run his company is fine with me. I abide by that. I abide by that, and I abide by the commissioner's
1: ruling. So I have no problem with any of that. But he's out. And you heard Bob Kraft joking in the middle of that. Didn't keep Parcells along. Weirdly, Pete Carroll ends up being the next head coach of the Patriots. Then it's Bill Belichick. But I think the Seahawks' ownership situation right now, one that does not involve very handsy people like Jeffrey Lurie is an advantage and I know there are some that think that Pete Carroll needs to have his power checked or John Schneider too maybe that is the case but I don't want that power being checked by suits I don't want it and I don't care if Jeffrey Lurie is primarily focused on the Eagles above all else when it comes to his business ventures or even if he is someone that is so hardcore into football that he is watching film on a regular basis. He is, a, I think, the argument against incorporating analytics into sports because it really does feel like he's one of those people that because he strongly believes in something that he has a firmer grasp on than coaches, and I would say that most coaches are a little bit hesitant when it comes to incorporating some of the data that analytics provides to, I guess, in certain situations, provide an advantage for them. I, I think that owners like Jeffrey Lurie are are actually dangerous to your overall process on the field. And I'm just glad the Seahawks don't have something like that. I imagine in years past, it was a little bit different with one Ken Baring, at least based off of limited things that I have read. So 7-10, 7-10 would you prefer a more hands-on ownership? I hope you don't. Tweet me at Gallant says, some other responses to my question about what you would like to see the Seahawks do with that second-round pick at 710, 710, More trading down to get a center and a corner. Okay, the kind of high-impact player that you're going to get at either of those positions, though, for 2021, shouldn't that be their priority, finding the best possible player to help you out this year, or are you still thinking long-term at the same time in the draft? The Seahawks will be, I think, doing that. I don't think that they are going to get aggressive in this one when they only have three picks. But I think it might make more sense to be aggressive this time around. It's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington. Nay, the world, 710, 710 is how you text. You can tweet me, at Galant says, as well. Should the Seahawks change their draft habits for this coming NFL draft? It's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with the one and only Maura Dooley. Good morning, afternoon, Mora.
2: Good morning, afternoon.
1: It rolls off the tongue a little bit better now.
2: Yeah, I'm getting used to that.
1: You don't (laughs) seem sold.
2: Yeah, no, I can hang with that. I was just trying to think if there was anything that does roll off the tongue a little more. I'll get back to you.
1: Mornoon. No. Just get rid of one syllable? Okay, two.
2: (laughs) All right, according to ESPN Buccaneers reporter Jenna Lane, the Seahawks and 49ers were both interested in former Bengals running back Giovanni Bernard, with Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson even reaching out to him, but he chose to sign a one-year deal with the Bucks yesterday.
1: I'm a little annoyed, and again, this is an irrational take, I'll admit it, because I don't know what Giovanni Bernard's going to bring to the table for the Seahawks. Basically, he would be competition for Rashad Penny as your number 2 running back, but I'm annoyed that the Bucks out-recruited the Seahawks. I'm annoyed that this has happened now twice. I didn't want Antonio Brown on the Seahawks, but I'm annoyed that Antonio Brown picked the Buccaneers over the Seahawks.
2: Well, and I guess there are reports they were aiming for Leonard Fournette, too, right?
1: Yes, that's also true, Mora, that they were potentially interested in Fournette. Fournette did not sign with Tampa Bay for very much. It feels like Bruce Arians and Tom Brady are winning all of these recruiting battles. I get it, they just won the Super Bowl, they're in Florida. I do like Tampa Bay. A lot of people hate on Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is a wonderful place. I lived there for high school. So I do like it. But I'm annoyed that they're out recruiting an organization that historically has been better until just this past year. And now all of a sudden, everybody wants to play for the Buccaneers. So I'm annoyed by that. It's not a rational take. It's just me being annoyed, (laughs) petty, and jealous. One texter texted in earlier, Paul, you need to focus on yourself instead of being that. No, I am a sports talk show host, and I'm annoyed that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are out recruiting... The Seattle Seahawks. It is like having a friend sit with you at the bar and you're trying to get a number, he's not trying to get a number, and he keeps getting all the numbers. That's, is that like, is
2: that sounds like it's something that it might be. That it, happens. It might
1: be a personal problem, Maura.
2: It might be. <laughs> I
1: need to stop hanging
2: out with six foot six tall friends. I think we all have that friend that you're like, I like you, but you make me feel worse about myself, yes,
1: one hundred percent I do I am a big fan of that friend though all right, next up
2: your voice your opinions it's time let's not go to be heard yet let's instead just uh that's right, you all have to shut up and listen let's do that. <laughs> One more story before you get to be heard. Patriots wide receiver Julian Edelman is retiring at the age of 34 after 12 years in the league.
1: Julian Edelman had a similar career to that of Doug Baldwin. And I know that people are going to get sensitive when I say that. Edelman's not a Hall of Famer. But Edelman is somebody that I feel like you should respect just given the fact that whenever he went up against the Seahawks, he balled. Whether it was in Super Bowl 49 whether it was the game that we saw between the Patriots and Seahawks this past season, go back to 2016 as well. Edelman weirdly has his best career averages in terms of yards per game and yards per reception against Seattle. Weird, right? I mean, it's only been a couple of games. I look at Edelman as a guy that's not a Hall of Famer, but I think of him as one of the best all-around football players that we have seen over the last 20 years. How often do you see guys play multiple positions? Great punt returner. Very good wide receiver. Not the best hands, but I think a very tough runner with the football in his hands. And a guy that played spot duty defensively, and also a guy who has one of the most important passes in postseason history over the last decade. Much like the Phillies special, the throw that he made, which was Trey Burton to Nick Foles, the throw that he made in a game between the Ravens and Patriots in 2014, that throw doesn't happen. New England probably doesn't get to that – New England definitely doesn't get to that Super Bowl. How is the NFL different if it's somebody else, if it's the Ravens or somebody like that? Honestly, we might be talking about the repeat champion Seattle Seahawks in Super Bowl 48 and 49. Very impactful play. So, yep, got popped for PEDs once. Not a Hall of Famer, but a guy whose career I very much respect to the point that I decided to wear my Steve Largent jersey today because shout out to all the undersized, small, wide receivers that still bald.
2: I like it. I like it. I saw Richard Sherman and Chris Harris uh, giving him some props online, too. You know, when whenever quarterbacks say, hey, you had a hell of a career. that's you, uh, you know, like you said, he's maybe not Hall of Fame, but that debate has gotten so out of hand that I think he's not getting recognized for the fact that he did have a solid career.
1: It's been weirdly personal, the back and forth on it. And I I don't really want to engage online, although Danny and I did go back and forth about it this morning. But it was a great career. It's not a Hall of Fame career. There's a lot of guys like that. And and I think while he had a really good postseason, I, I think at times we need to pause and really consider how much of an impact a guy's postseason success should have on whether or not he is remembered and given a golden jacket. So there you go. Uh, I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show. This hour of the Paul Gallant Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. 710710 is how you text in. You can call in to 206-421-3776. Should the Seahawks change their draft habits for 2021? I think they should. I honestly feel like that second round pick, they should be aggressive with it. They should use that second round pick to potentially go after somebody who can help them out right now. Because I have a hard time feeling that a pick at the back of the second round is going to really help the Seahawks out. At least in 2021. And you might be in one of those, oh, boy, we got to maximize this specific year as far as Super Bowl windows go. Because next year, there's going to be a lot of free agents, and they might not be able to bring everybody back. Though I will credit John Schneider, the roster flexibility that he had going from last year to this year. For the most part, the key pieces are back. Shaquille Griffin, Jaron Reed, the only guys that left. Griffin, I understand why. Jaron Reed seems like he just made a dumb decision. All right, guys, it's time for you to be heard. 206-421-3776, 710-710 is how you text, tweet at Gallant, says, what do you think on the matter?
0: Your voice, your opinions, it's time to be heard. heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard.
1: Text in 710-710. Paul, speaking of Giovanni Bernard, who would be your all-mustache NFL team? For example... Gardner Minshew, and, of course, Bernard. That is a great question. Best mustaches in the NFL. You know, uh, here are some other texts. Beards and mustaches in the NFL in 2020. The beard is different than a mustache. I don't understand why this ranking on beardbrand.com <laughs> is one that is also accounting for beards. It's different if you have a beard. A beard and a mustache are not the same thing. And for the most part, there are very few mustaches. Aaron Rodgers did have an interesting mustache at one point last year. He came into a game wearing a Canadian tuxedo and a bolo tie. I will say that the mustache was impressive in terms of its swarthiness.
2: Has it Minch, or not Minch, I always... (laughs) Hasn't Baker Mayfield rocked one, too?
1: Baker Mayfield has rocked one. Baker Mayfield looked like Randy Marsh, yeah, for those he... who are familiar with that character, when he had a mustache going on. It
2: wasn't good. Taylor LeJuan.
1: Andy Reid. Andy Reid's mustache is very impressive. And I feel like that's probably, yeah. that's probably the most iconic mustache in the NFL. So if you've got others off the top of, the, of your head, send them in. 710710, 710, Paul, where haven't you lived? I've lived in five states. Massachusetts, Florida, New York State, Texas, and now Washington. So 45 other states and every other country. You move around a little bit when you're in this industry. But there are plenty of places, and honestly, I, I this is this is the last stop. I don't want to move anymore. I don't want to make new friends. This place is the best already. Uh, I love the weather that we have had there, especially the last couple of days. Can we uh, keep this warmth level? Huh? Huh? Please? Please for the love of God. And I hear, or at least I saw in the forecast, that just as I go on vacation, that the weather is supposed to be fantastic the next couple of days. We're actually going to get. Oh, way
2: well, you're going to the beach? Yeah, I know that's true. you are fine. That's true, but I still want to.
1: You know, I want some local. I want some local 60 degree plus weather. Uh, seven ten, seven ten. What do you do with that pick? This can work. We have the 56th pick. Cooper Cup was drafted 69th. Nice. Let's find him. Ah. Uh... I I think sometimes we, we get this idea in our head that because certain players are found in the second round, I've heard this a lot about running backs. You can find a running back in the third round because so many have been found in the third round, but that's not the way that you want to go and you can't plan on it. And what are you more likely to get another DK Metcalf in the second round? It is a supposedly very heavy on talent wide receiver. Uh, class that you have in this year's draft class but do you want to roll the dice on a draft pick in the second round and see what he can bring to the table this year or if it's available to you would you trade that second round pick for insert veteran x i would probably look to trade it for insert veteran x if i'm john schneider i'm looking up and down every single roster for guys that potentially could be on the trading block and i'm thinking about that i don't think i want to trade back either the more that I think about it. And I think that's what the Seahawks are going to end up doing because they only have three draft picks. Text in, I think I agree with you there, Paul, the Seahawks haven't drafted well overall in some years now, so maybe they should use that pick. Yeah, I, I think that you have to consider alternative means this year too. You've put yourself in a spot where you do need to find the immediate impact players. Which is not to say that's a bad spot to be in, but your window is in one of those precarious situations where you're not 100% sure when it's going to shut. And you have a nice core in place right now, but there is some signs of a changing of the guard, right? And I just point to two specific players, Dwayne Brown and Bobby Wagner. Also, K.J. Wright, we'll see if he's actually back this coming season. But I would imagine in the next two to three years that there will be a leadership void on the offensive line and probably on the defense unless Jamal Adams can slide into that role, which I think he honestly, he seems like he is doing that. Uh, Some texts about great mustaches. Mike Holmgren, yeah, that's a great one. That's a local one. Uh, (laughs) Jeff Fisher's Ned Flanders mustache was legendary. That's a really good one, too. A text in, when mentioning all we lost this year, how didn't even mention KJ? Talk about an impact guy that isn't returning. How about a little little respect there, man? Utmost respect for KJ, right? I think this was the best year of his career.
2: He hasn't gone anywhere yet, so we're assuming that, right?
1: Exactly. I
2: I think he's going to be
1: back. Maybe that's an arrogant assumption to make, but I do think he's going to be back. Text in 710710. Do you have a question for the Graz, the great and powerful Graz? Because he is going to join me next I really think that the Seahawks' ownership situation is an advantage, and I want to get a little context from the Gras as far as the ownership group before Paul Allen took over because I've read a little about a little bit about them. I love history lessons with the Gras. Those guys seem like, whoa, really bad, really, really bad. It's very fortunate that the Seahawks have what they have right now. We're going to talk to the Gras about that and a lot more next. And if you've got a question for him, again, text it in, 710-710.
0: It's 10.30, and that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some frickin' toughness, you're gonna get your, you're gonna, you're gonna fail. With all Gallant.
1: And as he does every single Tuesday and Thursday, the great and powerful Graz, brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company, joins me in the sports pit. I'm told, Graz, that I'm in for some surprises. Ooh, what's gonna happen? Uh well did you know i'm
0: hosting your show tomorrow
1: i did not that's awesome yes no one else is allowed to host it although i don't think i have any control over that
0: (laughs) Uh, i'm hosting your show tomorrow
1: i'm gonna have my old partner gas on oh gras and gas yeah that's 10:30. i'm gonna put him in the pit that's very, very cool. All right, well, I'm going to have to listen for that because, I, 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 honestly, I've heard things, but I haven't actually heard it in person. And you know what? That's going to be... So that might be appointment listening as I'm on the plane trekking across the country and then across the Caribbean. Okay, uh, Graz, we were just talking about in the last segment about the Seahawks' ownership. I, I think it's an advantage, and especially when I look at that article yesterday in The Athletic, where it seems Jeffrey mm-hmm. Lurie, who is, I think, well-intentioned, is way too hands-on with the actual football operations. Mm-hmm. And I know that before Paul Allen came here that things were very different when it came to Seahawks ownership. How different was it?
0: Boy, it's 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 hard to put it in words how different it was. I mean, look, the, the last owners moved the team. They moved them to L.A. They were actually in L.A. practicing on a high school uh, practice field for a week, so I mean, they, 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 left. they took him and left. Um, it was Ken Baring, who was a terrible owner. His son uh, w- was, uh, was running the operation, had no experience in it either. They had uh, presided over a period of, of just utter mediocrity. Um, so it, it, the, the change from them to Paul Allen, the, we had an idea of the kind of owner Paul Allen would be because of the fact that he had already owned the Blazers and you know had seen that. But um, it, it just, it, it couldn't have been, it's not possible to come up with a more night and day scenario than Paul Allen's ownership compared to the ownership before him.
1: I've read a little bit about it. And yeah, the idea that they thought they were out of the lease, and that he moved the team to actually to the point where they were practicing in Los Angeles. And then, of course, everything got basically shoved yep. right back in their face. The commissioner face. sent him back. The commissioner said, get back. You're not
0: going anywhere. You can't can't take that team because... And I think Baring's line was something like, "Well, Al Davis did it, <laughs> so I mean, it, he didn't have a leg to stand on." But, but you know, and then Allen, you know, to t- just speaking to Jeffrey Lurie, Allen was so wonderfully hands off. Um, it was just uh, you know people actually uh, at times would complain that he was too hands off. So, how about that for for an ownership complaint that you don't hear in many towns? But uh, you heard it here. Uh, in some cases, that Paul Allen was too—he was active behind the scenes, but was not active. Was not like uh, I, you know, I heard George Steinbrenner compared once. Uh, to the, the problem with him is that he kind of wanted to stand in front of his teams. So you could watch him own, and Paul Allen couldn't have been more opposite than that.
1: The Graz with me in the sports pit. The question I have for today's show, Graz, it's about what the Seahawks should do with the draft right around the corner. We're getting closer and closer to it are you like me thinking that they're probably going to trade back out of that second pick, that second round pick and get more picks?
0: You know, if you look at their MO, it tells you, yes, that's what they're going to do. But you know, there's another factor that isn't a completely unique factor to this year. And that's, it was such a strange year in college football and uh, you did not have the, 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 the combine, you you did not have the, the normal procedures that you normally have to, to, to analyze guys in the draft. So, I'm curious to see if that would impact them. If there was ever going to be a year, ever going to be a year, where they would not make it a, a priority to, to have more draft picks, it would be this year, and that would be because, you know, you, you can't possibly have had this, this class scouted as well as you've had other classes scouted. So, yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, that they, they do what they, they like to do, and that's, you know, trade down and get some more picks. But in this case, in this year, if they don't, it wouldn't be a shock.
1: There's been a conversation today and specifically online about Julian Edelman, and there's a lot of people that are arguing for him in the Hall of Fame, and a lot of people also that are angrily arguing against it. I think he had a great career. I don't know that he's <laughs> worthy. I don't know that he's worthy of this back and forth kind of conversation, but I will remember him as one of the best players of the past decade. And Graz, it's, it's I was struck when I took a look at his statistics last night by the success that he had against the Seahawks in particular. Of course, he's the MVP of Super Bowl forty-nine. in that game Mm -hmm. where he has nine catches for 109 yards and a touchdown. He also tackles Jeremy Lane, broke his wrist, tore his ACL. He clearly looked concussed after that catch he had over the middle where Cam Chancellor just rocked his world on a third and 14, but he shook it off, stayed in the game, probably shouldn't have, and then you add up all the numbers that he has had in three games against Seattle over the course of his career. He has 24 catches for 387 yards and that one touchdown. I don't know that he's going to be high up on this list, but as someone who has seen the great many villains who have gone up against Seattle sports in the Mm -hmm. past, where would he rank among annoying opponents to go up against? Well, I think you kind of hit on it
0: when you were explaining it. You know, he's only played against them, what, four or five times, so it's hard to to put him high on the list, uh, although uh, he certainly was effective. And look, let's face it. I mean, he wouldn't have been Super Bowl MVP had, had there not been a pass called on that last play, and that ball had been intercepted. So mm. I think that 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 might have been might have might have slipped by. But you know, there's no arguing the numbers that you said. But they just haven't played him enough in enough big games, because really that Super Bowl was the was the one and only big game for. For him to be high on the list, but uh, I think he's got an interesting case for the Hall of Fame too, because he was a he was a very impactful player in big games, and that that's got to count a little bit. So I, I think uh, you know w- w- it'll be interesting to see if he if he is a guy come down the line. He's not going to get in you know immediately or anything like that. If he's a guy who because of his performance in big games is so impressive, get, gets a longer look.
1: Some people have made Doug Baldwin comparisons as far as just the overall of their career. Mm -hmm. Very good. Not the longest period of time for success. A couple of years where Doug Baldwin statistically was awesome. I mean, the end of 2015. Oh, my goodness. He was incredible. How would you compare those two? I would go back to what I just said
0: about Edelman having a chance to and and distinguishing himself in the postseason a little bit more. So if it was between those two, although I mean Doug Baldwin was great, I would give I would give the edge to Edelman, not by a lot, but but by by a little, and and you know because he had the opportunity, and that's you know it's it's about opportunities to to shine in the postseason, and that that does that does count. So I give him the edge, but it would be real close and. You know, Baldwin did have, have a couple of great years, and, and, of course, for here, had a great career.
1: Before we hit the road, two, two more questions I want to get in. First off, this is the listener question of the day, and I'm not going to ask you the question where someone is asked if I'm being hired because I look like Harry Ellis from Die Hard and Mike Salk likes Die Hard the movie a whole lot. <laughs> I'm going to ask this question instead. Groz, assuming Seattle is a football town, if and when the Sonics come back, will basketball automatically become the second most popular sport in Seattle?
0: that's a good question um automatically no uh because they're going when basketball comes back there's gonna be a hockey team that's played here but and we'll see what kind of success they wind up having but they'll they'll have a they'll have an inside track on being popular again but automatically no
1: automatically no okay and you had an epic rant on friday with frustrations over the seattle mariners and since said rant the mariners i think they heard you because they started hitting home runs and had a nice win on yeah. Saturday, the comeback win on Sunday is the Dare to Dream Express. Is it back on the rails?
0: We're taking on coal because you know you never know if, 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 if the steam will last. We're we're taking on provisions again, so so we're loading up again. We're feeling a little bit better about things. Um, we're we're still on the auxiliary track. We haven't sw- switched to the main line yet, but. But we'll get there if they can keep hitting, and, and that's, that's that's been impressive, you're right, in the past couple of games. And I thought another good start by Kikuchi was nice to see as well.
1: Kikuchi looked really, really good. And the home runs yeah, I mean, that he... Kyle... Keep going. No, no, no. Okay, sorry. I, I Like Kikuchi, I really like what I'm seeing out of him thus far. Third inning has not been great for him, but it's the only pitcher that you're looking at right now that's actually having the kind of success that I think you need out of this this rotation. And I, I thought we would get a little bit more of it to open up the year, but especially with a disappointing start for one, Marco Gonzalez, it's good to see that Kikuchi finally seems to have figured it out.
0: I agree. I agree. And, and he he just, you know, seeing that 97-mile-an-hour heat that, that he can throw and – and the control he looks like he has now, you're right, he's, he's always had that bugaboo. It was, I don't know it was the third inning last year, but there's always been an inning for him that, that's been problematic, um, especially with Paxton going down in flames like he did. Um, he becomes obviously more important, and, and I think Marco Gonzalez will straighten things out. But um, with Paxton going down, Kikuchi becomes more important, and so far it looks up to the challenge.
1: The one and only Graz brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Graz, thank you so much for stopping in, and thank you so much for subbing in tomorrow. I'm looking forward to some Graz and Gaz Action 1030 in the sports pit. Safe travels, my friend. Sounds good. All right, the one and only Graz every Tuesday Thursday on the Paul Gallant Show. But guess what? More Graz tomorrow. All the Graz you can possibly handle. Coming up next, some interesting responses as far as the great mustache conversation of the NFL Who's got the best mustache in the NFL? Don't worry. We're not going to go into too much detail on that one. But should the Seahawks change their draft habits in 2021? Should they look at that second-round pick a little bit differently than they would in years past? You get to answer that next. On the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay, the world, the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Paul Gallant.
2: Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio.
1: Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle. It's funny the things that we look for to make us feel better on social media. The signs that we see and interpret as meaning something that it doesn't. But I have been amused today by a foray that we have made into the social media posts of one Russell Wilson. First of all, he tweeted out a video of himself with the caption, it takes a wolf to catch a wolf. Throwing a football in slow motion, working out on an ab roller, throwing with shoulder pads on and a helmet on. The helmet is a Seattle Seahawks helmet. He's going to be here for life. And Maura, you saw on social media, Maura Dooley behind the glass. Everybody, that I guess on Instagram, people are also taking a look at the
2: yeah accessories um, so of
1: his of his family.
2: A Twitter account that has the handle at Seahawks Burner posted a series of shots from uh, Russell's Instagram, where his sister is holding his baby, and uh, the baby has a Seahawks pacifier in. Go Hawks. So they're like, "Woo yeah!"
1: Go Hawks! Go Hawks! Go Hawks! Go Hawks! We're all good. We are all good. Everything is fine. Nothing to see here. We no longer have to be Frank Drebin in the naked gun trying to distract everybody from the firework factory that's blowing up in the background. It does feel like things at the very least right now are calm. The drafts, we're going to be calm. I think we're going to be bored. It's never fun when your team doesn't have a first round pick. It's different. I know that there are some out there who are hardcore draft followers, but when you're picking for the first time in the second round and then you don't have a pick in the third round either, it's hard to be super excited about a draft when your team only has three picks to make. So there's a part of me that looks at the way that the Seahawks traditionally draft, where they have a pick, but they're going to try to trade back and turn it into more picks. I think they're going to do that in a couple of weeks. I would like to see them at the very least entertain the idea of using that second-round pick to do something that they have been doing a lot of recently, which is trading for a veteran player. Now, I don't know what veteran player might be available. A second-round pick is a lot to give up at the same time, too. The Seahawks do need to restock the roster a bit this year with some draft picks. Three is not many. But the odds of them finding that guy that's going to be able to help them out in 2021 specifically at the back of the second round, I guess I'm just skeptical it's going to happen again singing as you caught lightning in a bottle with DK Metcalf. We'll see what happens with Daryl Taylor. Didn't really work out for Ethan Post. It definitely did not work out with Malik McDowell. Marquise Blair, I don't really know. We haven't really seen much of. In this nickel corner role, I liked what I saw out of him in 2019. Didn't really see a whole lot out of him in that nickel spot when he was healthy this past season, even though he was getting a lot of off-season hype. Kind of makes you think about how to evaluate off-season hype afterwards. But would you like to see the Seahawks go in a different direction than they have in years past come draft? 7-10, 7-10. The draft is exciting to me. I watch it more than live games. What? That's strange. I'm not the only person that feels that, right? You care more about the draft than than the games? If you were playing Madden, I would understand that. If you're playing franchise mode or something like that. Text, bro, you're a hater. Get off Russell Wilson. But I just said everything is fine. It's over. Come on, man. A text. Paul, Brady is currently the wolf of the NFC. Oh, and Russ is getting ready to hunt. You know, I saw that, and I thought to myself, (laughs) when I saw that caption that Russ put in his tweet, my weird self started wondering if wolves are cannibals. It takes a wolf to catch a wolf. Is there wolf on wolf crime? There aren't many wolves left, because we kind of killed them all. But do wolves actually, like, hunt another down? That's something I'm going to have to take a look at, because I thought they all were about, like, the team. You know, no wolf is greater than the rest of the pack. Kind of the perfect football animal if you get my drift. Text in, Blair was awesome. Get out of here. What? We haven't really seen anything out of Marquise Blair. He had some, I think, splash moments in 2019 towards ACL last year. He wasn't awesome. He he didn't play. So, I think that's a reach. Move Move Russell to the back burner on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington. Nay, the world says one Fred. Yeah, at at this point, he is on the back burner. I feel like what you do with that second-round pick could potentially keep it on the back burner for a really, really long time. Though, you don't want to leave stuff on the back burner too long, unless you're trying to caramelize onions. Ever done that? It's fantastic. And on that note, thank you very much for tuning in to today's edition of the Paul Gallant Show. To the Gras who stopped by earlier, to Maura Dooley, and to all of our texters, tweeters, and contributors thank you very much i will not be back until the thursday after this thursday so i will be back in a bit some people are rejoicing other people hopefully are a little sad about that but tomorrow you are in great hands the Graz is going to sit in for me so long farewell have a wonderful tuesday jake and stacy is next